doesn't know it. All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 520. Jason Lindgren is with me and Matt Roski joins us. Uh, we're going to be covering electroculture. Uh, we've dabbled a few times in electroculture, and so we kind of felt, based on the feedback that we've gotten, that we need to get someone who's all in and been doing this for quite some time. That is why we have asked Matt. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And another hot good afternoon it is. It's a beautiful day here, but the weather, the uh, air quality is crap, and I'm not going outside in that. I know what they've been doing. Uh, There's tons of terrible things in the air lately. It's another Blade Runner kind of day. Yeah, well, it's not orange, at least today. But anyhow, let's let's get on. Uh, Welcome, Matt. Thank you for having me on. So we got a lot of ground to cover. Do you have locations for your work or contact that you'd like to give out before we jump in? Of course. So you can find out more about our work on electroculture at cultivateelevate.com slash electroculture. And we have a beautiful page all dedicated towards the topic we're going to talk about today. Perfect. So I think we should start where you suggested. What is electroculture? So electroculture is harnessing the atmospheric energy that's all around us. The ether, the chi, the prana, the life force, the orgone. The energy that is moving around all the time, 24-7, 365, that's all around us. And we're using that energy to help boost our plants, right? Boost the sap and increase the energy, the conductivity of our soil, the conductivity of our plants. Because a lot of our plants are suffering from lack of electrical conductivity. And as we basically place these electroculture antennas all over our garden, in our basements, in our apartments, in our balconies, all these different places... We start to increase that energy and help to capture that ether so that we can boost our plant growth and increase yields, have more food and have abundance, right? We don't need the use of pesticides. We don't need the use of all these fertilizers and toxic things from Monsanto and DuPont. We can just use the beautiful energy that's all around us. And we're just capturing that and helping to improve our terrain as a whole, right? Because all these frequencies, all these towers, all this these LED lights and all this other stuff they're trying to push is basically inverting the healing frequencies of Mother Earth, and we're bringing that back with electroculture. So it's catching on like crazy, and I'm going to ask a few basic questions. I think most people are starting out with the little curly Q, copper curly Qs, and I'm sure we'll get into that later. But do we have an idea of the shape of the field? Is it like a toroid or something? If I put a little antenna next to a plant, uh, is there any sense of what the actual shape of that energy field is? It would be like a tornado or a hurricane, whichever one you want to kind of see it, you know, and it would be in that funnel shape. And I think of everything kind of spiraling in nature, you know, like a vortex. So when you're placing these antennas, you're creating that vortex, which can be going clockwise and counterclockwise at the same time. And that would be pretty much the shape in which I envision with the electroculture antennas. So narrow at the bottom, wider at the top. Yes, yes. And do we know which direction that energy should be swirling in? So now this is comes down to people's land, right? So this comes down to even like the uh, clockwise versus counterclockwise and people experimenting with all the different things. The best option for that is if people get into dousing and use a pendulum, they can determine the spiral in which they want to craft their antenna. This is kind of taking it to you know an, a, another level with it. But you can determine the spiral that you want to create with your antenna using a, using a pendulum. But the thing is with the spiral that's going on, you know, you're, you're, crea- you're, you're basically tapping into however the land is spiraling for you. So I usually say the northern hemisphere, everything's going clockwise. The southern hemisphere, everything's going counterclockwise. 
And I say that because if you look at the way the water drains, you can see the magnetic pull of the earth that's going on. And so when I think of it as the spiral fashion, I think of the North Hemisphere as clockwise, Southern Hemisphere as counterclockwise. So it's basically like which way the, the water is going down your toilet or your sink. Pretty much, right? Because, I mean, that's the pull. And I, I think of our, our, our planet as one big magnet, right? That's pulling in different, different ways. And like, for example, if you're on the equator, nothing, there's, there's really no pull. So, you know, or things spin in both directions. You know, you have both at the same time, that similar to Sedona and the vortexes that are over there. But yeah, it's, I think of it as pretty much as one big magnet that's pulling, and we're just kind of tapping into that magnetic pull with these copper antennas. Well, let's try to keep at least a, a reasonable timeline now that we've kind of described what it is. What is the history of electroculture? It feels to me like it, there was a time, not too distant past where a lot of people knew a lot more than we do right now. And then for some reason it fell off. Is that accurate? Uh, what is the history of electroculture? So when we go into the old world time, right, when all the antennas used to be placed all over the old world building. So let's go just 1500s to 1700s, just to make it really simple, right? All these cathedrals used to have antennas on top of them. And usually they had an antenna on top and there was a piece of copper wire that was ran down the side of the building, which would connect into the garden that was next door. And then their garden would be, you know, built out of sacred geometry and look very, very beautiful. You know, next to all these cathedrals, churches, temples, mosques, you'd always see these beautiful gardens. And that's because those antennas that are on top are connected into the earth next to it. So, you know, when we go into the past, this has been done for a very, very long time. And then when we go into like the 1700s and 1800s, you know, a lot of people started experimenting with electroculture on their own, you know, doing things with different types of grounding techniques, using copper, using brass, using gold, different types of materials. And then we fast forward into the 1900s, and that's kind of when it became more mainstream because of all the books that started to come out. And three people who pretty much were, I would say, the forefront of electroculture and those three people being Victor Schauberger, George Lakofsky, and Justin Cristo Flo. Those would be the three ones that I recommend everybody to look into in all their work. But they, after studying them, that's what got me into electroculture because I started understanding their work, understanding how they were connected to the earth. They were understanding that earth energy and that we could be using that energy to boost our plant growth. And they had so many trials where they were doing this. And they were having amazing success, you know, but a lot of this information was lost during the World War II reset, which uh, then we became more predominantly attached to chemical farming and iron tools and all the other stuff, which is pretty much the opposite of going with nature. So if they were, they were, they had an antenna on top of these buildings, I think people have seen, I mean, there's a lot going on with what was going on on top of some of these old buildings, mercury and other things, but the antenna itself, was it just a piece, like a pole, a mast of copper that then just went straight down and then grounded out in the garden? Or was there more to it than that? So there were all different types of shapes and spirals that were on those antennas. Some had curvatures, almost like a crescent moon. Some had, you know, they were they looked like crosses. Some looked like straight lines. Some looked like kind of like a Christmas lights, things like that. You know, so you have all these different shapes. Some had different things with triangles and different types of, you know, different shapes as well. Um, and then those would, like I said, those would be on top of the building connected to a copper wire and run down. 
and that would run into the garden that was next door. So, you know, shapes also play a role in this. You know, you can obviously take electroculture to another level with using shapes, but, you know, different shapes are working as fractal antennas and they're capturing different spectrums of energy and ether that's all around us. So, you know, you, you can have fun with it and kind of mix and match. And, and we're, we're trying to, like I said, replicate those beautiful antennas because those antennas also work to balance out the atmosphere. That was the whole thing. You know, they, they always talk about those lightning rods. Well, a lot of these buildings had thousands of these on top. So it doesn't seem they were trying to capture lightning if a lot of the buildings were also made out of wood at that time. You know, it looks more like they were balancing out whatever was going on up in the air and in their terrain at the same time with these antennas. I think there's strong arguments being made that they were, in fact, harvesting power for other things than precisely what we're talking about, but from a similar method. But correct me if you think this statement's not correct. It's starting to feel to me like if you went out with copper and you made any kind of an antenna and you can't really go wrong, it's going to be an improvement. And as you work, you'll probably get better and better and better at what you're doing. I think a lot of people are hung up on, well, the the spiral totally needs to go to the left or the right or, you know, all these little minutiae. But it, don't you don't you kind of feel like I do? Just any antenna is an improvement over no antenna. Yes. And I say that because I've had friends who used a toothpick, wrapped it with a bare, a little piece of copper, and they've had great results. And they didn't do anything special. They just put the copper with the toothpick and put it in their soil and their plants sprouted, you know, all within 72 hours, all at 100%. You know, so it's very simple. And, you know, all of this can get very overly complicated, but nature is simple. And as we replicate nature or we look at how nature is, everything is very simple. We don't have to do it so, so crazy and so complicated. But the fun part is, is like you said, is you get to experiment and have trial and error, right? You use the scientific method, which is trial and error, and figuring out what works best for you, your land, and your garden, right? Because every part of the earth is also different. And that's why I was saying some people, you know, counterclockwise, clockwise, everything is different, you know? So you're really trying to understand your land and and connecting more into your land. And that's what this is also a part as well, too. So let's get in a little bit to the copper itself. Is there a difference in gauges? If you're in, say, a small vegetable garden, would the gauge matter? That's one thing I hear argued. And another thing I've been seeing argued about is whether or not the copper wire should be bare. Now, I'm of a mind that if it's not bare, then it's insulated by definition. So does the gauge of the copper make a, make a difference? Is, is there some way you should aim for small gardens or trees? And does it matter if the wire is insulated? So with the gauge, you know, you can use just about anything. And I've seen people just take, for example, a really thin gauge and wrap a tree and the tree do really, really well, come back to life, you know, go through its molting process and basically come back to life. And then I've seen people use thicker copper and make all different types of antennas. I've had a buddy who's done like gigantic antennas over, you know, 20 or 30 feet with thick pieces of copper. He's had great results too, you know, and it either or the copper is going into the soil, right? Because the copper is the main benefits. When we put all this iron in the soil, we we create a lot of rust, we create a lot of decay, you know, that's why slugs come around. But when we put any copper, the copper is beneficial. 
And then the second question that you were asking about was the insulated versus bare. So, you know, it's best, in my opinion, to always go with things that are bare. And I say that because pl plastic itself blocks the flow of ether. And this has been shown with dousing rods. It's been shown with a lot of different things where if a plastic is put in place of something, it will block that flow of energy. Similar to a person wearing plastic clothes, it blocks the energy from flowing around the body. You know, so it's best to go with bare and stick to bare because number one, you have the bare metal. And number two, it's also not supporting DuPont and the plastics and all of the other stuff that comes with it. Yeah, I, I would point out that words have meaning and, and just by definition, uh, you're insulating that wire. So it's, you know, it's not going to interact with the atmosphere as much as a wire that's not insulated. So let's talk a little bit about the most basic shapes that I have put into my garden. What I do is uh, for the small things that I'm growing, I take uh, something about as fat as a highlighter, you know, like a highlighter pen, and I use that and I wrap it. And I have about five or six inches of straight wire, the coil around whatever I'm using to coil it around, and then the same amount at the top. And then I go into the plant that I'm interested in helping out and I stick it in the ground six inches relatively close. What do you think about that method that I have adopted as I'm getting started? I think that's perfect. You know, I mean, that's a great way to start. And I, like you said, you could take anything and wrap it so that you can make a coil. You know, you could take a marker, you could take a piece of wood, you know, you can do just about anything. And the other thing too, is if you are finding wood, you know, just as anybody who is starting, you should always look for wood that is in your backyard already, right? Because the wood that's in your backyard is sinking up exactly towards you. So, you know, the energy that comes from the wood also can enhance these antennas because there's wood waves that operate at 1.6 hertz that come out of wood as it's basically just all around us. So, you know, you can mix and match and have fun with it, but I like your setup and it sounds good to go. And those coils will start working and your garden will start flourishing. So the other thing that I'm starting to try to mess around with, with a lighter gauge wire, I got the idea from watching bonsai masters, you know how they take copper and they wrap around the branches to, to force them to be in a certain shape. So they temporarily wrap all well, got me thinking. So instead of having a, just a, a wound piece of wire, or maybe a post down the middle of it to hold it. I'm starting to wrap like I have jalapeno peppers, which are sturdy enough just to wrap that around the stem and then have it come out six, eight inches above the plant at the top. What do you think about that method? That method can work too. And I've seen people do it. I've seen people do that with lemon trees, orange trees, and pine trees. And they did exactly what you talked about. And they have all done very, very, very well. So that's another option. And, you know, the tree is an antenna too right? It's, it's deep in the earth. Its roots are already ingrained. So it is an antenna and you're just helping to improve the sap, right? The flow of the nutrients. So the copper is helping to assist that and balance things out and then also provide the color spectrum that comes from the copper, which is the same golden hue as the sun. That also helps to aid your jalapeno plants and your plants as well. So there's an old occult idea about angles that we used to talk a lot about, and I have a feeling, and I'm, I'm just taking an educated stab at this, that it may apply in the old occult building and designing of things. 
it was considered that a right angle or a 90 degree angle, which is also represented in most astrologies, that angle is an angle of sorrow. The angles of joy are, I think if I remember correctly, 60, it's representative of a perfect triangle. What's that? 60 degrees maybe. And I think 120 degrees. And actually I think most astrologers would know the beneficial angles because that's built into their charts. If we were making the antennas, I have a feeling that that would be a good thing to know about um, because those angles were determined by how energy flows. So the 90 degree idea is that energy flows to the corner and it collides at that 90 degree right angle bend, whereas the other ones are not so severe and the energy merges. And I just wanted to add that in. Do you have any thoughts about that? I like that you said that because when I was learning about dowsing, They were saying when you put a, for example, a silver coin in the corner of a home and you're trying to search with it for with dousing rods, it's actually very hard for them to detect it because of what you just described, because it's in the corner and that angle is blocking the rest of the flow of the energy versus if that silver coin was in the middle of the room, then you can pick up on it a lot better. And that would be because of the better energy flow. So I could see that. And, you know, that's the fun part of this is you can mix and match and you can test things and you can try different things and see what works and try different angles and different types of shapes, you know, and sacred geometry. I mean, I pretty much originally all got into this because I first started learning about crop circles and was told to look into it. And those are all specific shapes, specific angles, you know, specific dimensions. So it all goes hand in hand when it comes to these things. You know, it's interesting too, because a friend of ours that we have on named Derek Condit, he's truly kind of psychic guy. Uh, He sent me a copper pyramid. So it's like wireframed copper pyramid. And that's when I started thinking about um, maybe using that in the antenna, which is why I brought this whole thing up. My point being is if you start experimenting with antennas, maybe it would be best to avoid the 90 degree angle because we are talking about energy flow. But before we got on the air, you were talking about another thing that's near and dear to my heart, and that's the moon phase. Now, a lot of people have seen, I don't know, like poor Richard's almanac and these other things, which are helpful and they have useful things, but they're a bit corrupted, I think, compared to what they once were. How does the cycle of the moon play into what we're talking about? Because anyone who's going old school and looking for the old school knowledge absolutely can find literature that says in this phase of the moon, you don't plant these seeds. They won't do well. All this information. So how does the moon play into what we're talking about? So the moon is a 28-day energy cycle, right? You have 14 days of energy going up, 14 days of energy going down. So when you think of the sap of your plant or the blood of your plant, it's 14 days going up and then 14 days going right back down. So they say that you should, when you are planting, they say that you should be planting during the full moon because the moon is providing the most amount of magnetism at that time. And a lot of the times people used to take seeds and they would place them into their mouth so that they would sink up to those seeds. And then they would place those during the full moon so that they could get the best sprouting at that time. And the moon plays a big role in the energy. And now I start to really think also the moon plays a big role in the sound of the planet at the same time, right? Because we've, we've been told about how, you know, the moons can affect our mood. They affect the waves. They affect all the water, right? The water in our bodies, the, the water in the plants, you know, these are all together connected. 
And so my thing now I start to think about is that the moon, as the moon basically becomes more and more full, the sound of a higher pitch almost increases and gets louder and louder, which I think has to do a lot with plant growth because I've learned a lot with certain pitches can increase plant growth, like bird sounds, right? They're high pitches, high, high pitch sounds, and those, those can actually benefit plant growth. So if the moon is gradually getting louder up into the 14th day and then gradually getting quieter, that would increase plant growth as well over time. And then it would kind of slow down as the moon, as the, the, the moon starts to fade. So then I think now the moon starts to play a big role with that because as the moon starts to fade, then it starts to get all quiet and then you don't have as much growth. So, you know, it's best to plant during the full moon. But the moon cycles are fascinating because they relate to so many things related to water, our moods, our emotions, you know, the animals, the insects, the birds, the bees, every single thing is pretty much following that same cycle. And we have a full moon coming up in three days. That's uh, July 3rd. And then you also have a series of super moons and eclipses, which also amplify energy, which I think also tie into electroculture too, because if you're tapping into this, this atmospheric ether, right, then you're tapping into a higher source of energy. And if these energies are increasing during moon cycles, then you're tapping into that higher amount to put into your garden as well. And you can help enhance your plants. So I think it all goes hand in hand, but like you said, there's some great books on the moon cycles, but a lot of them have probably been tainted over time because, you know, the publishers and all the people who are involved in that. But it's a very interesting thing to look into, and it plays a lot of roles with our health and our brain and our plants and our birds and everything. So it's definitely something to look into. Yeah, the cycles of the moon are a big, big, big deal, and we've lost the information temporarily. And I think maybe women are a little more aware because of menstrual cycles and other things, but it works on all living things. The moon can divide up a lifetime. We had a guy, who was it, Jason? Was it, it was Christopher Gardner with the bamboo, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we had a friend of ours, Christopher Gardner, who did a bamboo show with us. And he brought up just one of the most important things. And I don't think most people caught it as important. They knew in the area of the world where he is, when to harvest the bamboo so that it won't rot when they're drying it. And that's about the cycle of a moon. I used to be big into bamboo uh, when I was living in California, and it occurs to me what could be done uh, with electroculture and bamboo. You've got all these natural grass poles, masts, but do you feel like the daily energy that is harvest is ebbing and flowing? We've talked about the lunar influence, but to me, if I had to like venture a guess, I would suspect that when the sun comes up in the morning, the energy that you can harvest rises all the way to the high point of the sun at actual solar noon and then falls off to sunset. Do you think there's any, is that how it works or do you feel like it's something different? So the first one that you were mentioning is Moonwood, by the way, that was that one you were talking about. There's a, there's a great person who has a documentary on that with the bamboo, Mm. but that's called Moonwood and it's a phenomenal one to look into. But the second part that you said with the sun Yes, the energy is definitely related with the sun as well. Wilhelm Reich talked a lot about this, where around 12 noon, there's a high peak or blast of energy. And about 6 p.m., there's another peak or blast of, of energy. And you can see that a lot, too, with people, right? They get, usually get a high energy just before dinner and a high energy at noon. You know, most people are kind of a little usually lethargic when they wake up. That's because everything, the sun hasn't fully gone up. But yeah, both of these play a big role in our energy. 
you know, and that's why they spend, you know, if we're going to get into it, billions of dollars trying to block out the sun because the sun, you know, without it, it gives us life. It gives us energy. It makes us function. You know, it makes plants grow. There's so much stuff that goes hand in hand with it. So yes, the sun definitely plays a role. And what's interesting too, is if you look at the cycles of the sun, because there are cycles of the moon and cycles of the sun. But if you look at the, you know, the two of those, they, the, the sun also goes in certain places and rises in certain places and things like that. And it's all stuff that we should be paying attention to because it can relate to gardening and planting, you know, and it's much more than just the, the sun is in the air and the moon is in the air, you know, so it's definitely a something that goes hand in hand, but our energy is definitely determined. And you can just see that when it hits springtime and the sun starts getting warmer and everything starts coming out and and then in the summer, it just peaks. And then, you know, in the fall and winter, it starts to taper off and uh, diminish over time. So if I had to venture a guess, now that electroculture seems to be firmly gaining ground, I don't know, it was maybe a year, year and a half ago, I saw it coming back on the radar in a big way. And it seems to have grown and grown and grown over that time. We'll probably start learning a lot of different things. After all, and it's funny how we lose track of like the influence of the luminaries. A good example of that is like, you know, my neighbor just was walking the other day and said, oh, my irises are going to bloom for three days next week. You know, first of all, they know that. But secondarily, that's true. That plant is tuned. So what's doing it? Well, we know that the sun and the moon are influential. So I, I think it makes a big difference to, to start to comprehend when the energy flows are, uh, are at their peak. But to get back to it, are you seeing mostly single antenna setups where I have a tomato plant, I'll put a single antenna, or are you beginning to see people go for the whole garden? So I've seen a combination of both. You know, I've seen people do them on their balcony and just do a single one. And it's worked really well for all their plants. I've seen people do multiple antennas and they're doing one in each raised bed so that they can see what happens. And then sometimes they won't put one so they can kind of see the difference. I have a lot of people showing, you know, with electroculture, without electroculture now, I get sent, I don't know how many videos now a day. It's, it's pretty wild. But the, the, with this whole movement that's happening, people are trying all different things. They're trying different heights, trying different shapes. The other thing that a lot of people are trying now, which I've been talking a lot about, is using even crystals and stones and quartz and all these different types of stones on top of their antennas so that they can get the piezoelectric effect of when the copper is winding around the crystal and squeezing it to create that energy. And to get the reflection or refraction of the sun through the crystal and then hitting into their plants as well. So that's another one that a lot of people are experimenting with now where they're combining those two. But the biggest thing I see is I have people who make like 25 antennas and they'll put, let's say, five in their garden and they'll give 20 to their friends and family. And now their gardens are doing the exact same thing. And it's just kind of spreading, like you said, very, very quickly and people are trying it. And it's, it's, it's very simple to do, to try. So that I think is one of the biggest reasons. It's not complicated. It's very simple. But I've seen quite the abundance of everybody trying electroculture. And I've been trying to show as many videos and pictures of before and afters to really display what people can have. And I just had a lady the other day who her cucumbers and zucchinis are just absolutely massive. I mean, it's, it, they don't even look like cucumbers and zucchinis. I'm seeing that too, by the way. Yeah. I was going to say, I've, I've seen so much that now she's basically, I had to say, she has to give it away to, you know, the community club 
and other people because she's like, I can't eat all this food. And, you know, when I first kind of started getting into electroculture and I tested it and I did it with my Moringa plant and these things, I started to realize, you know, we could all have abundance and it can easily be done. And now I kind of see we're having that. And I sometimes also think it might have to do something too with how we see kind of, there's a lot of these spikes happening with the Schumann resonance. I sometimes think maybe all the antennas going into the earth is also amplifying the Schumann resonance at the same time because it's amplifying the terrain and reducing all this just toxic frequencies that, you know, we're kind of always bombarded with. So you brought up two things. Well, one thing, and you captured my interest incorporating crystals. I'm already planning to do that. I had planned to use some clear quartz crystals. So how are people doing it? Are they wrapping circularly around the crystal and putting that at the top of the antenna? Is that the idea? Yes. So they're usually getting a clear quartz, just like you said, and they're wrapping it around in a circle around the the quartz so that it squeezes it and just placing it on top, almost like a staff, right? Or like a cane. You know, they used to always usually have something like that on top of that. And they'll wrap that. They'll use quartz. I have other friends uh, using lapis lazuli because lapis lazuli is just a beautiful, powerful stone with copper, iron, and pyrite. So I have people doing that. Uh, There's different people trying different stuff with bloodstones. You know, you can use all these different types of stones because they're also, like I said, they're going to give you that color spectrum and then also amplify the energy because once the sun hits it and it's connected into the earth, there's a, there's, there's a charge, you know, there's voltage going up and down. So now you've basically created almost like this conductor of energy that's just flowing up and down, but yeah, you can use different types of crystals and then around the base of the antennas, you can also use basalt which is volcanic ash, which is loaded with quartz. And you could place that around the antenna or around the root system of your plants. And that will, when that is squeezed by the earth, so as it's compressed down and you you water your plants and starts to compress, that quartz will get squeezed. And that will also increase the piezoelectric effect of your soil and for your plants. So basalt can be another great option to adding to the soil, including with the quartz and the different crystals. So you've got me thinking about the crystals. And as I was sitting here considering it, uh, people who deal with crystals will recognize, you know, normally if you're going to buy a crystal and it's got a point on one side, that's usually called a single termination. I guess just kind of trying to reason it out in my mind, if I wrap that and put it at the top of my antenna, I think I would want to point the single terminated crystal down with the idea of bringing the energy down. But there's also double terminated crystals, which tend to be more expensive, but then you would have it going both ways. Has that been thought about at all? So I think the energy is flowing in every direction. I don't know if we can really forcefully push it just one way. It's kind of like positive ions and negative ions and that whole thing, you know, because they always say like, oh, if you got negative, well, you have positive too. So I kind of think it in both directions, it's flowing, but I think those points can be very beneficial. You know, Les Brown, with all his works on pyramids and points and creating energy and all of that, he talked a lot about that, where if you, you know, create different types of points, you can create different vortexes. So I think if you use, like you said, the different the crystals with a point on one side or even a double point, you know, those can be very beneficial. And then you can also implement that if we took it a step further, Marcel Vogel and his crystal work. He made very precise crystals that he was using for his crystal work, and that was at a specific angle. So that also 
could probably play a role with electroculture antennas because now you're implementing, you know, the precision and the angles like we were talking about at the beginning. Then you have the shape and then you also have the staff or the antenna all connected as one. Right. So another friend of ours from Conscious Technologies named Ross has real vocal cut crystals and he sent me one and it is, I mean, it's like razor's edge accurate. The point on the end of this thing, I mean, it's almost dangerous. It's so pointy, but I think I'm with you on this, but there's another aspect to this. I don't know if you have any thoughts on chemtrails, but we've done quite a bit of work on the plane spraying. And we have talked recently about vinegar as a method to create a chain reaction at works, which is basically just getting distilled white vinegar, taking it outside on your barbecue and boiling it. And it works. It really works. But I've also now heard people from the electroculture side of the house saying that they have made large wooden posts that they wrap and that that disperses chemtrails. Do you know anything about that? Yes. So there was a great video that Jim Gale put up where he tried electroculture and his antennas were clearing up the sky. And it was interesting because his sky was completely blue above him and then it was all cloudy around him. And he's like, my land is perfect and all the other land, the energy is not so perfect right now. But, you know, that gets into the work of Wilhelm Reich, you know, all of his work that he did, you know, he would basically build these different types of cloud busters and they would be connected to water. And as they were connected to water, they could clear up the skies and remove all this toxic radiation and dirty radiation that's up in the air because that's part of what they're you know putting up in there when they spray and things like that. And then the other part of that is there was Trevor James Constable, who was doing a lot of etheric weather engineering. And he would basically have these different types. They weren't copper pipes, but they were, they were cylinders and they would spin similar to a vortex. One would go clockwise, one would go counterclockwise, and he would be in a boat or a car, or you could do it on a a motorcycle. And as he would drive, those would spin at the same time, and they would begin to clear up everything in the air. And he was the original person who cleared up all the stuff in the 1980s with smog in California. You know, the weathermen were all kind of baffled because they were like, the smog is just gone. And he was just tapping into the ether and understanding that basically when you start to create these vortexes, you can balance out or harmonize the area above you using these different types of setups. So I've seen so many different things. We had a video the other day that I think it got like 1.3 million views. It just went absolutely crazy. But it was just a lady clearing up her skies. She put copper pipes in the ground and she just set them up. There were about uh, six of them. And she just set them up in a, in, a, in a cylinder fashion. And then she sprayed them with water. Within an hour and a half, her skies were completely clear. And I mean, I think we can do a lot more than the powerless intention that they try to place us into of fear and scarcity. And I think it just comes at, at the ground level. you know. And, and if, if every person was doing this, I mean, it counteracts every single thing in which we're facing. You know? So that's why I see this as such a big deal. Because not only is it helping our plants and our trees and our gardens and the birds and bees and pollinators, it's also helping to clean up the air and all the other toxic stuff that they're trying to place in it. So I'm with you. And what we notice of the kind of bad guys in our world is when they do a thing, it's usually doing two or three or 10 things at once. And what I'm recognizing about electroculture is, first of all, you compare this with your intention. We've already talked about incorporating crystals. So all the people out there in the world who have to do with crystals 
already are putting together in their mind what I'm talking about in regard to intent, but we're helping grow with just the antenna idea. But if we extend that idea, we could also begin to affect positive energy up in the atmosphere above us to deal with things like the negative chemtrailing. But I wanted to ask you is, was the lady using like an orgone cannon where they take copper pipes and put them into the ground or how was she doing it? She was, yeah, she created an orgone cannon, just like you described, and it had six copper pipes. And then there was a piece of copper in the center. So it would hold them all together, almost like the uh, fascies. If you remember that fascist yep. weapon, you know, yep. that they got so similar to that. And she just placed that in her backyard and then she just would spray it with water. And she had like a big hose and she would just, cause she first asked me about it. And I said, you know, you should spray it with some water because water was always paired with the orgone. And she started spraying it with some water and it just, yeah, cleared up the skies and it's just remarkable. And she showed a time-lapse video, you know, of each hour and I kind of condensed it a little bit, but she showed a time-lapse video of it just changing. And it's like, it just shows that we can be doing a lot more than what we realize with just simple pipes. And there's nothing special about them. They're just copper pipes, you know? So same thing with the electroculture, it's just copper wire, just very simple things rather than very complicated, <laughs> overly complicated things. So there's a couple things. I had a friend, the first time I ever was exposed to an orgone cannon, a friend of mine just south of DC in the worst chemtrailing I've ever seen in my life anywhere. I mean, oh my God, unreal. And it, it's nonstop, nearly nonstop. Made an orgone cannon where the principles that you would, you know, when they were making the orgone in like clear plastics and stuff. So that was in the base and then all the copper pipes, I don't know, five, six, seven, however many into the ground. And what I first saw was that the cannon was punching perfectly round holes through the chemtrails above. But this is what I wanted to ask you about. She had told me that after the cannon had been charged up and in the ground a while, she touched it and she almost passed out from the energy. Have you ever heard anything like that? And the reason I'm bringing it up, do you think there's any safety factor when you're tapping energies like this? So with Wilhelm Reich, when he talked about orgone up when he was in Maine, he talked about that happen with some people, just exactly of what you described, that people would you know, potentially pass out or fall over if they were too close. And when you describe that situation, it sounds like there's a static buildup and it needs to be discharged. And if it's not discharged, when you go to touch it, you just discharge that energy right into you, similar to those uh, earth batteries that they used mm -hmm. to have. So I think those go hand in hand. Now, that's where you would have to figure out, okay, how do I discharge it without touching it myself? Now, the earth should be discharging it, but maybe this is another part of something we aren't aware of or we don't understand, right? Because if you think about it, when, they when you talk about barefoot grounding and you're taking static off or... If you take a piece of copper and you stick it into the earth, it's grounding. Maybe things are not grounding in the same fashion that we've been kind of told. At least this is my thoughts on it while I'm talking about it. But, you know, it's it's interesting because it seems like if she did get shocked, it would be a static buildup. And then she touched that similar to when people walk over a carpet and then they go to touch a metal door and they release that charge. So I kind of feel like, you know, maybe if certain materials are mixed together, Maybe that helps to reduce that static charge that builds up over time, and it could still be just as beneficial. 
such as maybe using like beeswax, which is magnetic and non-magnetic at the same time. You know, just these are just my thoughts on it, but it, that's kind of what I'm picking up on when you explain that situation. So if I remember correctly, she didn't feel like a shock, but when it did, she felt a wave of I'm going to pass out. And I think she even had to sit down. But so if there's a buildup of energy, I mean, maybe spraying water. I'm just trying to think because I want to do it, but I've got a dog and I sure don't want my dog falling out in the yard because there was a buildup of energy. Do you have any idea of how you would prevent the buildup of energy? Could you do it by spraying water? The water might be helping with that. You know, it's, yeah, I was going to say, because I'm, I'm sitting thinking about like dolmens and how rocks are stacked on top of each other and they create a charge and that charge is always there. So hmm, the only thing I could think of is maybe you would touch the copper with linen because linen cannot gather a static charge. So that's the only thing I can mm. think of that would discharge that static buildup that's occurring. That's kind of my thoughts with that. I, I guess from what I what I was told and what I witnessed, I, I don't think I would think of it as static, like an electrical charge. I would think of it as, I, I want to use the word orgone, but I can't really define it. But that's what I would think of is that there's like this ambient energy transfer, not like a spark or something like that. But if if people want to start doing this and cleaning up and putting positive into the atmosphere above them. Like for my part, I have these, um, I made grape trellises and I had to put, I don't know whether they're six by six poles, but they go up 10 feet. And I'm thinking about wrapping those. So if you had two of those and you wanted to take a, a stab at cleaning up the air and the atmosphere above the property, how would you go about it? Would you, first of all, use a heavier gauge copper wire because it's a bigger construction and then which way would you wrap? Would you go clockwise up or counterclockwise up? So with that, you could go taller, like you just described. Like if those trellises are very tall, that would be a perfect way to start. 10 feet. Yeah, 10 feet. That's perfect. Because after about six feet is when the, the you know, they as they say, the atmospheric energy is you're tapping into that. So anything above six feet, that's where you're going to start to tap into that. And then as for your clockwise versus counterclockwise, you could do, if you want, you could wrap either direction. You could make one doing the clockwise, one doing counterclockwise and kind of see what happens. And I, the only reason I say that is because the land is always different, but you know, you can experiment with it, but the, the, the thicker copper, like you said, would be more conductive. So if you, if you wanted to experiment with it and make it better, or like at least the best, then you would use the thicker copper. The other thing you could potentially do instead of doing that is you could use copper sheeting and you could create a cone or like a coil, like a circle, right? Like a cylinder. And you could do something like that so that you don't even have the coils, but you you could do it with copper sheeting and wrap something around with copper sheeting. That would be another option because then you're kind of making like a bigger cannon, right? Like a more round, because I think, you know, also too, when it comes to the shapes, you know, these, the coils we're doing with electroculture are very like compact and tight, but I also think that larger coils or, you know, more, I guess you could say horizontal coils, those would also impact on a different wavelength or a different frequency, uh, everything that's above. So I think you can use a kind of a combination and kind of go either smaller to bigger or bigger to smaller 
and kind of just test with it and kind of see what works with your land. So I had two thoughts on it. We're just so you know, Matt, we're going to take a break at the top of the hour at about 50 minutes. We'll take a 10 minute break. But my thinking was that if I got, if I'm wrapping up a 10 foot pole and the wraps are closer together. So in other words, there's more wraps going up to me, it feels like there would be more energy there. And then after that thought, at the top, you know, if you look, how can I explain? Okay, so you know a dandelion head? Yes. So I was thinking about making a copper thing so it radiated out like a dandelion head. So instead of the seeds, you know, just little little antennas going away in a ball shape to dissipate it out in every direction. Do you think I'm thinking about this in the right way? I think that, I mean, I'm looking at trees right now and cactuses and a whole bunch of things that are ahead of me, and that's all how they're designed. So I would say that type of design would work really well. Um, when you go back into the work of even Justin Cristo Flow and his different types of antennas, he made them similar to what you just described, where it was almost like a flower bulb on the top yep. and, and a more just sturdy rod for the antenna. So you could definitely do that. And, you know, there's there's a lot of different shapes at play, which you could also mix with, which, you know, can also impact those frequencies. So yes, I would definitely say that even doing like the dandelion head or a sunflower head or something in like a flower fashion would definitely help with the energy as well. What do you think would be the result? So on the trellis, I have, you know, like just like a normal cable, you know, it's a, an aluminum, it's not aluminum, but it's that color. What would happen if the copper hit the trellis wire? If it touched that cabling, that metal cabling, do you feel like it would interfere? So with the trellis wires, what I've noticed is, is the copper balances everything out. So no matter what goes on with steel or iron being placed into the soil or gardens or anything, the copper balances everything, which I thought is really interesting because it makes me really think that copper is more powerful than iron or steel, right? Because if the energy is being able to kind of transmute it and be able to flourish still, then something is very big that it's kind of like happening at the same time. But the copper will help balance out anything that's going on if you're using those trellises. And I've seen this numerous times where people had trellises, they had tomato plants, they wrapped it with the copper, and now their tomato plants are just absolutely gigantic compared to what they were last year where they just had the, the trellises in there and no copper. Wow. So I think what I'm actually thinking about doing based on this conversation is purposely touching the steel trellises that are going to support the grapes up to about eight or nine feet. So I'm going to give that a go, which means if what you've said is correct, that the copper will balance the steel, then that steel should carry some of the energy generated by the copper. Yes. And the, the, and, and the reason I say that too, is if we look at some old world designs called dynamos, which were the big electrical conductors, those were a combination of iron, copper, and magnets. So if you think about it, you got the magneticism of the earth. And then like you just described, you have the, the, the iron or the steel going with your trellis, and then you have the copper and you would be creating that energy. So it's kind of like you just made a big energy grid in your backyard without having to pay for it. That's the best way to describe it. Oh, it's crazy now that you're, you're laying it down like that, because technically the two 10 foot uprights that carry the steel trellis wires, there's four steel trellis wires. They go up 10 feet and there's four of them. If I wrap each one of the 10 foot holes, one counterclockwise, one clockwise, ground it, have what I described on the top, like a dandelion head, but I purposefully 
on each of the four steel trellis wires that goes between them, hit it with the copper, then that whole thing turns into one big grid, doesn't it? Yes. One big electrical, beautiful energy, you know, and that's, it's nature's energy. It's not the Rockefeller energy. It's nature's energy. So, you know, that's, that's what I, that's kind of how I started to see things. And I, 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 I try to explain it that way because that's the most, that's the simplest way to explain it. Like it's, you're, you're harnessing mother earth's energy and that's what you're doing for your garden. And that's why, you know, people's gardens start going wild and also why they start getting a lot more pollinators and birds and bees and all of those things too, because they are attracted to that beautiful energy. Well, before we run out of time in the first hour, I'm going to get Jason in here. But if this construction that I'm actually working on actively works, maybe I'll name it Mockefeller. Anyhow, (laughs) Jason, you want to get in on this? Well, I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked David Avocado Wolf. What's the most impressive thing you've seen electroculture do? Ooh, I mean, if that's the I mean, the first I guess the biggest one I've seen is, is plants and trees coming back to life. Right. So I've had people with people with like pine trees, which were gone for years. They're like, there's no leaves. There's no pine cones. There's no nothing. And pine trees coming back to life, like completely flourishing and coming back to life. And that made me start to think maybe trees go through like a molting phase. Right. Just like an insect. Insects go through a molting phase and then they trans uh, they metamorphosis, whatever they change. So, you know, Trees, I think, are just missing this electrical conductivity to always be present. So my biggest thing was watching all these plants. And I even had a moringa plant that I just put a piece of copper around. It was gone for a couple months. And I decided I'm just going to put a piece of copper around it, give it a little water, see if it comes back, came back. So then I started thinking, well, we, in order to, you know, as they, they're always trying to do the save the climate thing and whatever, they're, but they're cutting down a lot of trees. They're saying that these trees are, are no good. But maybe these trees are just in a state in which we can't understand, such as a hibernation or molting state. And when we bring back that electrical conductivity, they just come back to life. And then the other question is, is how large can things be? I've seen a lot of people where things are much, much larger, like their rhubarb has like taken over their backyard or their plants are getting larger than their whole beds and things like that. So then the question is, is how big can things be? in comparison to what we've been shown, you know, and how much does that play a role with implementing electroculture? So those would be the, the two things that I would say have really kind of blown me away with this whole situation with electroculture. You know, did David Avocado Wolf send you the picture he sent me, Jason? He had a dead twig that came back to life in the same way that Matt's describing. I don't know if you saw the picture. No, I didn't. After we had him on, someone sent me a picture of a zucchini that they'd grown on a plant that was not electrocultured and one that was, and the fricking zucchini was the size of their leg. I've never seen a bigger zucchini in my life. Okay. So Matt, we're going to wrap up for hour one. Please tell folks where they can contact you and get a hold of your work. And we'll take a quick break and come back and do hour two. So they can find us on cultivateelevate.com and we have an electroculture page dedicated towards this. We also have a lot of before and example videos on YouTube so that people can kind of get an idea and see different ways of creating antennas and also see what other people are doing as well. So they can find us on both of those. All right, there it is. That is our one of episode 520 covering electroculture with Jason Lingren and Matt Roski. Uh, we're going to take a short break and come back for hour two. This is a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is not just because it's so freaking cool and it works like the vinegar thing works. It's like you're doing this thing that 
doesn't feel like it should do much of anything, but it really works. We're in the age of energy now. So these are the types of subtle energies that has been predicted that we will become masters of. As a matter of fact, uh, in the Eastern ideas, there are five subtle electricities which are represented in five of our bodily senses, like sight, sound, all that. And we are supposed to master those, discover and master those again. And electroculture, to me, feels like it's tapping into that. Anyhow, the first hour is free to everybody at Pro777Radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777Radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode. They get access to all the forums, comments under each episode, as well as free access to the two-hour film called Shoot the Moon that covers all my telescope work. Uh, It's got like 10 awards out on the uh, film festival circuits now. With that, we're going to prep up for hour two, and I hope to see everyone back as a member for the second hour. There it is, man. I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era, and we'll see you shortly. Cheers.
Belief is the enemy of knowing.